Today's episode of Rates and Barrels is brought to you by Dugout Mugs. Dugout Mugs is a company that was started in a college baseball dugout, hence the name Dugout Mugs. What they do is they take the barrel of a baseball bat and turn it into a 12-ounce mug, and they're licensed by MLB, so you can get your favorite team logo laser engraved right onto a Birchwood baseball bat barrel mug. It's perfect for the big game or to put on display, and it's great for baseball fans as a unique gift. Go to dugoutmugs.com slash the athletic and use promo code MLB30 for 30% off your first purchase. That's dugoutmugs.com slash the athletic and code MLB30. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 117. It is Tuesday, July 28th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. We have a ton of topics to get to. We have an unfortunate outbreak with the COVID-19 pandemic impacting the Miami Marlins. We've had cancellations. We have other COVID-19 matters to get to. We have actual baseball to talk about, which is cool and only adds to the cognitive dissonance that I think many of us are experiencing right now. So uh, we will get to a lot of baseball topics, of course, on this show as well. we got a prospect debut that we're all looking forward to coming up on Wednesday uh, and some surprising transactions to get to throughout this episode as well. Eno, how's it going for you on this Tuesday? It is uh, super, super weird. Uh, today is the first day that I will go to a ballpark since February. How do you feel about that? I am scared a little bit. I I mean, I know that's not I'm not likely uh, to have uh, bad symptoms even if I get it and that I'm not likely to get it because the way that they uh, the way that they do things is uh, the media just basically arrives in the press box without really seeing anybody else. Um, and I don't even think that we'll, we'll see uh, PR staff. So um, I also don't know why I'm going. Um, but uh, it is such a weird thing. I get, like it, it's almost like rubbernecking. Like, I, I don't know. I, I'm going because I am in this time and this seems like something I should do just to see what it's like. And, and maybe to understand better, I'm writing about these players. I'm writing about these issues. I'm writing about what's going on. I should go at least once to understand what it feels like to be at the park right now and what it looks like and what it sounds like even. Um, so like, I hope it's not rubbernecking. I hope I'm not just going to say I went, but I, this might be the only time I go. Yeah, I don't think it's rubbernecking. I, I think it is what you said. It, it's to have a better feel, better understanding for what the environment's really like. I mean, watching the games on TV, you could see and hear the ways that it's different. But I think going through the process, going through uh, having your temperature checked and the things that are going to happen as you get to the park and as you make your way up to the media area, just understanding that firsthand, I think that will help you on some level sort of connect with how everything is different at the ballpark every day because you've been there for several years when things are completely normal, you know, like that's it's a jarring sort of difference. That's been the story of this year. Uh, so yeah, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't feel bad about 
going at all. And I think you might be right. I think you might find that it's just awkward and uncomfortable and it's hard to get a lot out of it because of the very unique way that it's covered and the limited access, but it's still, I think, worth experiencing just for the reasons that you mentioned. Uh, So we'll start things off with the Marlins story. It's really the biggest story in baseball right now. Initially on Sunday morning, I believe there were four players who had tested positive. It kind of started with Jose Urania. Uh, He was supposed to start that day. He was scratched from his start. And the Marlins went on and played the game and won against the Phillies on Sunday. Monday morning, we found out that many more players had tested positive that a small outbreak, I think four was enough to count as an actual outbreak, was actually much larger. And as we record this just around 1 o'clock Eastern on Tuesday, it sounds like we're up to half of the active roster is now tested positive for COVID in Miami. So Monday's game was canceled. The Marlins were supposed to play the Orioles. The Phillies, who hosted the Marlins on Sunday, their game against the Yankees, uh, was postponed as well. So it's been a, a roller coaster 48 hours, really. And all of that was surrounded by some injury related news that we'll get to in a different part of the show. And I just think in all of this, you know, I, what I'm stuck realizing is that we don't really have a clear plan, even with protocols in place. Like the way things have been handled and the reports we're starting to get don't give me a lot of confidence that. Every scenario was thought through during the shutdown period. And I think the uncertainty about how the schedule is going to play out in the next couple of days and whether or not the season's going to continue is very much a reflection of that lack of clear planning. Yeah, I mean, I have to throw a little bit of sympathy in here because you're dealing with a lot of different states and local authorities that have their own rules. And so you had to leave a little bit of leeway in for different teams to deal with things differently so that you could still gather all these. It's a little bit of a a problem without national federal leadership um, in this, in this situation overall, we're seeing that, uh, you know, play out in ways where like corporations sports have to kind of allow for some leeway if they don't do a bubble plan. Right. Um, and so there had to be something like that. Um, and, uh, but now I think like looking back to one of the questions we had that was always very awkward to ask, but you have to ask these hard, awkward questions when you're running a sport, which was no one has said anything about, you know, we said this many times, no one has said anything about how many is too many. And what is the, what is the moment when all the baseball shuts down? And when you look back on that question that we had that has not been answered and has been answered a little bit by circumstance, you have to think that the reason they didn't put that number in there is that they wanted to to be able to do a little bit about what they're doing now, which is, well, it's just the Marlins. Like, like, tell me, tell me with a straight face that if 15 Yankees were hurt right now, we'd be playing the other teams would be playing baseball. Like if 15 Yankees had COVID right now, that we'd be playing baseball. I can't because I think even in one of the example scenarios when we talked about this before, we suggested what if it's this team versus that team. And it's unbelievable that it makes a difference, but you kind of just know that's how the league could view something like this. 
And I think what's there's, there's a lot of things that are troubling about this. I mean, the Reds might be dealing with an outbreak too. It's not necessarily as clear just yet, but they've had a few players who have been removed from the roster, uh, placed on the IL due to illness, and were kind of left in the dark. I mean, there wasn't a lot of news on the Reds really on Monday at all. They played as planned against the Cubs, so things are, are progressing there, I guess. Those are more, I think, the, the Braves and the Reds are more situations that we kind of envisioned, like two or three players, uh, catch it fast, uh, get the players out of there. Um, the Braves may have even been an abundance of caution. I don't think we've we've yet we've yet to find out if Tyler Flowers and uh, who's his backup? No, Travis Darno. Yeah, we have yet to find out um, if either of those guys tested positive. Right? We just know that they stayed back. Right. And yeah, if if that's the extent of what is going to happen outside of what's happening with the Marlins, that is more in line with what I kind of expected if it were going to happen and like if, if things were going to make it through the end of the season those would be the types of, of setbacks those would be the types of virus related problems that teams would have to overcome but i think that those uh, those other teams are acting like honestly just they seem to act a little better than the marlins did i mean it's a little weird that the marlins players had agency in this and decided to play uh, you, if you ask a player, they're always going to be wanting to play. And in fact, some of the some of these things that they're talking about now are saying like, uh, "Oh, we're going to redouble." You know, masks are required in in the clubhouse and stuff like that. Well, that should have been the the, the position at the beginning. And I think for some teams, there were more stringent requirements than other teams. Um, it, it just think about the fact that Tyler Flowers had like a little bit of a sniffle and boom, him and his backup catcher are sent home at, at, at like a considerable risk to the Braves in terms of on field play, because now they're playing like, like the 19 year old William Contreras and, you know, I don't know exactly how old he is, but he's a baby man. And, uh, uh, and he wasn't supposed to be ready yet. So, you know, they, they, they took a risk by doing this, um, you know, I, I think there were a couple managers uh, that felt under the weather um, and, and got tested and ended up being fine, uh, but, you know, and stayed away from their, their teams for a game or two. So uh, I think we just need to, like, we need to step back and that be the default. Like, you know, take players out, cancel games early, like cancel that Sunday game that the Marlins played. Don't play that game. You already have four. You know, four is bad. Yeah, four is very bad. And I think it's watching baseball throughout the last couple of days, even teams that are being careful, even teams where you see a lot of players wearing masks. I've seen Anthony Rizzo offer hand sanitizer to a runner at first base in the Cubs Brewers series this weekend. I think Orlando Arcia got a single. Rizzo pulled sanitizer out of his back pocket and dripped some on Arcia's hands right away, right? You see players like trying and taking it seriously. And even with that, there are still these momentary lapses or there are certain things about celebrating a home run that still don't look quite right. I'm really surprised by how much they're touching each other after those. I, th- I figured we would have had some more innovative, you know, uh, you know, I, I air hugged a friend recently, you know. Yeah, I for the first time today, I met a friend for coffee, sat outside 
and did an elbow bump when I left. Yeah. It's literally the first human contact I've had with anyone who isn't my wife. Like, I haven't <laughs> yeah. shaken anyone's hand. I haven't hugged anyone. Mother's Day, I didn't hug my mom. I, I, like, that kind of stuff. Like, haven't yeah. touched anybody. And even that, I'm like, wow. My circle of people I have just even made contact with is now two in the last five months. I, I think it was Hunter Renfro on Monday night. He had a home run. Went through like the gauntlet, and they were doing elbow bumps, which, okay, you're not doing high fives. That's like the modification, but it was in a crowded dugout, and the thing I saw was that Renfro, at the time, didn't have a mask on. Several players in the dugout didn't have a mask on. If you get elbow to elbow away from somebody, you're probably closer than six feet, right? And I imagine when you're playing a game in the trop in July, you're warm, you're sweaty. Like There's just going to be breathing and droplets and all those things we've been talking about, right? We go to the grocery store and there's a piece of plastic between all of us and the cashiers and for good reason. And then they go to a baseball game and you hit a home run and you're that close to someone without that barrier. That seems pretty jarring to me. I know they're all in the same circle. I know those guys have to look out for each other and they have to do everything they can to not catch the virus and spread it. But I still think there's another level and maybe after what's happening with the Marlins, maybe this week, we will see teams that were being a little too casual, which I think is almost just getting comfortable in the circumstances. I don't think it's intentional negligence. I think it's just sort of the byproduct of getting back into a routine, playing baseball again, and just sort of falling into old habits, right? Like you just sort of you start to feel comfortable and you start to do the things that you used to do without even thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we're at the precipice right now. Uh, been, apparently, a vast majority of Nationals uh, players has voted against making the road trip to Miami this weekend. And in fact, given the gestation period of the virus, like uh, really the Marlins should be shut down for, you know, five, six, seven days, uh, which right. is just an awful amount of time given the season and how much they're going to have to pack in later, you know, to try and get any of these games back. And yes, uh, you know, those aren't games that necessarily mean a lot to uh, the Marlins' chances of winning this year, but they do mean a lot to the other teams that are playing them. Um, so there's already kind of a hole in the schedule, and it's already getting wobbly. And, you know, uh, now the, the commissioner has the ch- choice of, you know, sort of ordering a team into a hot spot um, or canceling it and seeming like, you know, any team at any time can kind of decide not to play, which maybe they should be able to. I mean, they're the ones that are, you know, at risk here. They're the ones that are, you know, interacting with each other. I mean, Manfred's not in the dugout, you know, giving high fives. So, um, I don't know. I would, what I would like is just, uh, just everyone to be a little bit more cautious. Um, maybe see more masks, uh, in the game, definitely in the dugout in the clubhouse. Um, I'd like to. I'd like there to be more baseball. I'd like them to maybe cancel this Nationals Marlins series, uh, just to see how how bad it is. And and uh, you know the the good news I think is the Phillies first round of testing. Uh, you know nobody so far ha- has tested positive, but the, with the gestation period, they might have just gotten it. So you could be talking about a Phillies problem uh, on Friday. Yeah, having just finished up that series on Sunday, it's possible that players will begin to test positive from those exposures at the end of this week like that's well within the range of outcomes so um, i'm hopeful even though things are going wrong i'm just hopeful that teams are going to see what's happening 
tighten everything up and do their absolute best. But I think part of that optimism is being in a position, as we've said before, where this is our livelihood and it it needs to work for you know a lot of reasons that are very personal to me. Um, but I want everyone to be safe about it because we've seen complications. We've seen Eduardo Rodriguez um, with a heart condition that they think is related to COVID, right? Like, so we've seen some some scary things. We had a, a professional scout uh, pass away at age forty. I mean, like we've seen horrible things with this virus directly connected to baseball, and obviously outside of it uh, as well. And we have complications with tests, like Juan Soto having negative tests but not being able to clear protocol so although I, I will have to say that there's definitely like conflicting pieces of information coming out about Juan Soto that's just so weird I mean you know Bob Nightingale saying that you know he hasn't tested uh, he hasn't had a positive test since the 23rd or something but also saying that he hasn't been able to have two two straight negative tests are 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 that many tests coming back inconclusive Um, that's the only way that you can fill in those, that, that, the missing information that we've got there. I don't understand that. I do, uh, understand that, uh, the at home test that Soto was taking and that other people are taking the kind of quick response, do it yourself ones, um, I think, uh, are among the worst in terms of, uh, false positives really. Um, and maybe just, they're just among the worst tests, um, that the ones that the, that baseball is doing with the saliva sent away to the lab, those are much better. So if Soto is saying, you know, I have all these tests from the at-home thing, that may not carry as much weight and obviously doesn't because he's not playing. Um, so uh, we did get a uh, an email about that from a listener, didn't we? Yeah, Dr. Devin Kelly, thanks for the email explaining some of the differences in the tests. And yeah, you could, you could have as high as like a 20 to 30% false negative rate for the, the some of the upper airway testing. Um, and there was a, a really interesting calculator he sent us as well. I think the, the thing he sent us at the end of the email is the important takeaway as we think about baseball, we think about life. Uh, this is how he ended his email. It's important to remember this is a novel virus. The scientific and medical community still have a lot to learn. We should all learn to accept the scientific and medical community is working very hard to make progress, but this takes time. We will continue to have uncertainty, and hopefully this improves with time. Sometimes there are no clear-cut black-and-white answers. Yeah, that's the reality of the situation in a very clear and succinct way. You know, like, of course, we weren't going to get through this with no positives, you know, Um, and of course, something like this could have happened. And of course, most of these players will be fine. And that's what we're seeing. Uh, You know, a lot of them are coming back quickly. Uh, But then you still have the fact of Eduardo Rodriguez and no Eduardo Rodriguez's heart is not damaged for his life, I don't think. Um, it's more a reaction, uh, that his heart has had to a virus, viral infection. So that's, um, something you can get from the flu. You can get this myocardial reaction, um, to, uh, to the flu as well. However, it's a big freaking deal. I mean, he's, he's arrhythmic basically. Like he has a heart issue right now. It may not be something that stays with him the rest of his life, but he has a heart issue right now. And that's a lot more than just, you know, oh, he has a cold, you know, when they say that players have flu-like symptoms, um, when they're talking, they're talking about they're hungover or they got the craps or, you know, he's puking. Those aren't really flus. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so even when people say it's just the flu, that's really, uh, ridiculous. Also, the flu is really, uh, terrible. Uh, and this is even worse than the flu. And it has all these things, like we were saying, we're learning all these, uh, implications for future health. 
Um, and we don't even know what that, what those, uh, what those are. And we just know that the heart is affected. Um, and, uh, and that it's uh, really rough on some people. So, I don't know. We're going to have to, uh, we'll keep, uh, we'll keep playing fantasy and we'll keep talking baseball while there is baseball. That's the big cognitive, you know, disconnect. And it's really difficult. Um, but you just have to represent yourself and represent the, um, issues you have with how things are going. And yet at least be happy that there's something new on TV. I've, I've, I think I've watched everything on Netflix and HBO. Um, <laughs> You've seen it all. <laughs> I've seen it all. So now it is time for, uh, uh, a little bit of baseball, just not not involving the Marlins, I guess. No, I'll get NBA, NHL coming back very soon as well. To that end, the final 22 teams have made their way to Orlando and are ready to get back out on the court. While the end of this year's basketball season will be different than years past, there will not be a shortage of excitement. And there's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. To celebrate the return of basketball, DraftKings will have not one, but two $1 million top prizes through the first two days of the resumed season, so get in on all the action now. If you haven't tried it yet, fantasy basketball is easy to play. Just pick eight players, stand with the salary cap, and pile up points for three-pointers, rebounds, assists, and more. There's no better way to put your basketball knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at $1 million. But if basketball isn't for you, don't worry. DraftKings is offering plenty of fantasy golf action for this weekend's tournament. And of course, they've got baseball contests as well. With millions of dollars up for grabs, there's no better place to have skin in the game than with DraftKings. Download the DraftKings app now and use the promo code RUN to get a free shot at millions of dollars up for grabs this week with your first deposit. That's promo code RUN to get a free shot at millions of dollars with your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, you know, we actually have baseball things to talk about on this episode. Not that the COVID-related baseball things aren't baseball, but I was excited watching games this weekend. I was excited Monday night when the Brewers rallied back from a four-run deficit in the ninth and won a game against the Pirates in extra innings because those baseball things make life feel a little bit more normal again even though we keep ping-ponging back and forth and getting those harsh reminders that this is all happening within a pandemic. Uh, Shohei Otani made his first start on Sunday. We talked about that on the Friday show. It was one of the things I was really looking forward to. It was short-lived, unfortunately. He did not uh, record an out in that first appearance and did some ratios damage along the way. He hasn't hit in the first series of the season either, so it's just been a, a slow start to the year for him. I think it's going to lead some people to start wondering if if this starting plan this season doesn't go well, if he has a couple of bad turns the next couple of weeks, it's going to lead people to start asking if the Angels should consider using him as a reliever, possibly getting a little more of his bat that way because with the starting pitching plan, they have to kind of ease off him a little bit uh, as a DH. Uh, How long do you think they're going to wait before they actually change course with their plan? Because I think a big part of Otani signing with the Angels when he came over from Japan, was their commitment to him as a two-way player. Yeah, I always thought um, the college plan would work, where he plays every day as a bat, and he's a, a closer, or at least a high-leverage reliever. I mean, that that would fit his skill set. He he has uh, you, you Darvishian command um, and, and stuff, I would say. So, um, you know, a lot of times that player... Uh, ends up uh, relieving. And so uh, not to link it 
or blow up the rundown too much, but uh, Josh James is on that list. Uh, Tyler Chatwood, you know, doesn't quite have the stuff of those other two, but he has the the command issues. So you can see that these are players that um, there is some risk involved when you take a guy with really bad command. And you've seen the U Darvish up and down swings. Uh, you've seen Chatwood go from a reliever to a starter to a reliever and back again. Uh, we're watching Josh James try to 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 force his way through it. We're going to see Dylan Cease, I believe, today. Um, these are the types of players that uh, often, I would say, more often than not, become relievers. Um, they have reliever-like command. Um, but um, you know, if if Shohei's sitting ninety six, ninety seven. Then sure, yeah, man, uh, you know, sitting nine seven for multiple innings. Then yeah, I want him out there as much as possible, and I can uh, understand the sort of siren song, and 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 then the player himself is telling me uh, that's what he wants. But um, you know, he went, he was, he was, I think one of the biggest velo droppers of the of the season. He went from ninety six, ninety seven plus last year to sitting ninety three uh, in that start, and I just. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, he's shaking the rust off. He didn't get a single whiff in that first inning, um, and uh, you know the the hits like he didn't give up a homer or anything, um, and you know the the movement was still there. Um, so I'm hoping next start out uh, he's got to be sitting ninety four, ninety five. Like really, I think that's as that's how important the next start is because. Um, fastball velocity becomes meaningful after two to three starts. It predicts like 70 to 80% of the rest of your season's uh, fastball velocity. Yeah. And if he has command issues, he needs every tick possible. Yes. I mean, yeah. you can't get by with reduced velocity and mediocre command. That's just not going to work. And I think it's extra challenging when you're talking about a guy who could be a top 15 or top 20 hitter. If he focused solely on hitting and got to hit every single day, I think he's already flashed the type of ceiling that leads us to believe he would be an early round pick, even if he were only a hitter, whether it be an outfielder, maybe as a UT only guy, he'd still be in that conversation. He could be that good. So I think that that just puts like this extra pressure on him. And I don't know. I'm hoping he gets a chance to bounce back and hopefully it's going to be next time out, but I'm definitely concerned in the handful of places where I've drafted him this season. Uh, a couple of observations I had from the weekend. The Padres ran all over the Diamondbacks. Tommy Pham alone had four steals. The Padres, I think, have seven already this season. And as I started to really take a look at uh, what they were doing, it, it actually looked like they were more aggressive in every facet of base running. It wasn't just taking off. It was you know first to third situations. Uh, saw Josh Naylor... Uh, run in a situation where he might not have run in the past. Oh yeah, he got he he overslid the base. He actually had a stolen base and then overslid it. Yeah, and he, he actually he looks he looks a little better too. Like he looks a little more trim than he did a couple of years ago when That's I true. saw him in the in the fall league. Um, and he's got a chance to play for what it's worth. But I just like that the Padres they seem to be one of these teams that are going to be aggressive this season. You talked about them as a a playoff pick. I think on last week's prediction show. Uh, nice to see Fam healthy, of course, after he was dealing with an injury at the end of last season and back during the initial spring training back in March. Uh, but I also wondered, are the Padres more aggressive or did teams see something in Carson Kelly that makes them more willing to run on Kelly this season? 
Yeah, well, uh, the Diamondbacks get the Rangers next. Um, I don't know. The, the Rangers are really... They just got blown out of the water by the Rockies. That was weird. And and uh, not getting good news with the Corey Kluber loss. Um, it, it seems like one of those beginnings to the season when it's such a short season where you're like, oops, they're already in trouble. Um, yeah. And, it, and they're one and two. I mean, it's not, not that big a deal, but it's kind of in this season. But uh, no, there's not really a lot of waiver steals out there for you. Uh, Danny Santana is like owned in all leagues. Uh, Solak doesn't really run. Um, I don't know that I, I can identify somebody quickly that um, unless like Leody Tavares was subbed in. Um, yeah, I think he's still there for more like defense and, and yeah. pinch running though. Yeah, I, I just uh, I don't know. Kind of, I I always say Kiner Falafala. I don't know why. It's weird. <laughs> Uh, he does actually run a little bit, so if his but he's coming off a bad hamstring, so is he like gonna necessarily want to run now? Um, anyway, uh, after that comes the Dodgers, and the Dodgers are a little bit more uh, waiver friendly because they have such depth that um, you know they end up uh, they end up being somebody. I mean, like Kike might be on your on your uh, waiver wire, and uh, you know he steals bases every once in a while. Yeah, he went crazy in that opening series mostly on opening night against the Giants and it, it, we talked about Lux getting sent down and you know Kike and, and Chris Taylor being the guys who were going to play as a result of that I think he did his part to uh, to make that decision look like a good one at least during the the first weekend of the season uh, some injury news though it was pretty bad throughout the weekend Justin Verlander has a forearm strain at one point there was a report that suggested he was out for the season uh, he came back out, and I think Dusty Baker also after Sunday's game said he's just going to be shut down for a couple of weeks. So they're still hopeful he can come back. I don't know, man. I, like uh, I, you could you can see what happened there immediately. The, the player thinks he's going to come back and says, "Oh, it's only two weeks, and then I'll come back." But the team is like, "Well, it's a two month season, and he's got a two week injury with." There's got to be some ramp up after that, so he's he's at least out half the season. And in the case of Corey Kluber, I think it's even more obvious. It's like he's out for the season. I mean, it's a shoulder first of all, and it's a month. Like you'd be lucky if you get two starts from him. I'm dropping Corey Kluber. I have one share of him. I, I'm dropping him right now. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It's really bad news for Kluber. Uh, it's a strain of the Terry's major, I think, is the actual part of the shoulder. But a four-week shutdown with the ramp up, the season's basically over. If he comes back later, great. That's a amazing success story, but certainly don't hold the optimism for that particular injury. With Verlander, it's a little more tricky, I think, in part because you're talking about a guy you drafted either late in round one or middle of round two, probably at the latest. So to let that go and, and not just kind of see how it plays out for a little while, I, I understand the added desire to do that. The Astros are in some trouble. Kind of hinted at this before. The bullpen's not necessarily you know, locked down with four or five great relievers the way that most playoff bullpens are. You're losing Garrett Cole in free agency, even though they got Lance McCullers back, that was going to put a little extra pressure on some of the back-end guys. We saw Josh James come out and struggle against Seattle in his first start of the season on Monday. At this point, Forrest Whitley's just not at he's not there developmentally to take on the role they would have expected at this point. I mean, I thought Forrest Whitley was going to be contributing a year ago, and now they've got 
multiple vacancies in this rotation potentially, and he's not necessarily even the favorite to take that spot. A couple names that have caught my eye, Christian Javier, who I think people were drafting back in December and January for draft and hold purposes. I think he's really interesting. I think he was in the bullpen to begin the season. And then there's Brandon Bielek, who's been in the 60-man player pool all along. I think he pitched behind James on Monday night. The Astros do have a way of developing somewhat unheralded pitchers and turning them into very useful starters. So I think in the case of Javier, in the case of Bielek, really in the case of anybody that they bring up, you want to look at the underlying numbers, you want to see what's in the arsenal, because the level of trust is still pretty high, despite the failure to get Whitley where he needs to be at this point. They've done more with less. Jose Urquidy last year, I think, was a really good example of that. Yeah, and Bielak has, you know, four real pitches and average velo. Um, so, you know, it looks like uh, he could be uh, have a little bit of that kitchen sink uh, situation. Command is uh, qu- an open question. Had some uh, poor walk rates in the minors and had some better ones early on. Um, so I think he's relatively unknown. It is uh, maybe interesting to point out that his steamer projections are decent. Uh, sub four, just barely sub four ERA. Um, you know, uh, the other name is Brandon Bailey, uh, who I believe, um, was available in the rule five. And yeah, I remember there being a buzz that the Orioles would take him, especially with the Baltimore Houston connection in Baltimore's front office. Yeah. But somehow he's still here. He is the return for Ramon Laureano. Um, and has a tremendous ride on his fastball, uh, has had some really great strikeout rates in the, in the minors. Um, also some iffy command, uh, his projections are not as good. Um, and his arsenal, maybe not quite as wide. Uh, he threw a lot of fastballs, uh, when he came up, it was just a one inning last year. So we can't say everything, but, um, I would say that I, I think, Bailey's slightly ahead of Belak for a, a, a spot in the rotation. Right now, it's from Brevaldi's, who's, uh, I think, a low-ceiling kind of guy. Uh, like, just a decent guy that, um, you know, I picked up in some leagues and some deeper leagues. But I, I'm not, wouldn't, like, in a 12-teamer, I wouldn't be rushing out to get him. And I dropped him uh, in a shallower 15-teamer. Um, and then uh, Urquidy will come back eventually, and I guess they're going to have to. That means that James has a, a longer leash, I think, because if if you're talking about Bailey and Belak behind him, I don't think that you're necessarily reaching for the alternative for a while. So that's good news for James owners, uh, good news for Urquidy and Valdez owners um, that that want him. Um, I, I might revise James downward a little bit after that first start because of all the struggles with the command. Um, and I would say that maybe he's in the 60s somewhere. Valdez is in the low 70s. And um, Urquidy is probably the best of the bunch, but also biggest question mark with the, I, with the IL, the COVID return. So um, that's that's your group. Belak and Bailey, uh, I would leave that for 20-teamers with big benches. It's weird that Whitley doesn't even feel like an option. This is a guy who's a top 25 overall prospect on some list still, despite a disastrous 2019. He could come out of nowhere. Like, he he could be the option. We don't... The problem is, it's a total black box. We have no idea what he's throwing like right now. Nobody can see him. <laughs> like, we can't even... 
There are no scouts. I can't text a scout and be like, have you seen Whitley? No. No, they have not seen yeah. Whitley. I've, t- yeah. I've been texting scouts and they're like, no, I can't. I, I, all I see is what you see. Yeah. I mean, think about how short the list of personnel is who are allowed to watch the alternate camp workouts. I think they should share video, man. I, I don't hate to be like radical or weird or whatever, but like, uh, like, I don't know how people are going to see. They should share video, man. How could you? How could you make a trade with somebody? I don't know. Yeah, looking off old data, you'd almost think you'd see video when someone's up a few ticks, right? Like teams would take the, like leak it. Yeah, right. They would do like the flat ground approach with their own players and be like, "Hey, check out this guy you've never heard of. He's throwing ninety nine right now." And oh, well, that's cool. Maybe we should trade for him. But he used to throw ninety five. It would be strange to see teams doing that, basically to be pushing their own guys out there and and selling them with hype videos but every team wants to get a look at other players so there's there's sort of a mutually beneficial reason to actually go down that sort of path but keep an eye on what's going on with this group of astro starters because there could definitely be a few interesting guys that get opportunities and i agree that it, it there is a little bit of the feeling of the of the wheels you know going rickety they haven't fallen off yet but you got alvarez and your kitty you know Missing, nobody knows. Like, nobody knows how long they're going to be out. Uh, you've got uh, Presley with the elbow, um, you know, already hurting a little bit. Abreu has been up and down um, as soon as just getting back in there. But that bullpen isn't quite what uh, it might have once been. Um, you know, you're just you're asking for, like, just one injury to one of their main lineup cogs, and this team doesn't look uh, half as good as it, as it looked going into the season. No, things could change very quickly. Uh, things have changed a bit for the Dodgers since we last spoke. Clayton Kershaw's back has obviously knocked him out of that opening night start. We talked about that a bit on Friday. We just found out this morning that Alex Wood has been placed on the IL. So you know, Dustin May's temporary hold on a rotation spot in Kershaw's absence could be extended if the issue that's put Wood on the shelf keeps him out for more than a couple of turns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting that Alex Wood's uh, spin rate was up big. Uh, he was a, like a top five guy in spin rate changes. Uh, <laughs> number one was uh, Trevor Bauer, who went from sitting 2,400 to sitting 2,800. It's like going from like middle of the pack to top 10 type spin. <laughs> I think we know how he did that. Uh, anyway, uh, major changes in spin can be predictive of injury. It's something that Carter Caps posted about recently on Twitter. Um, and usually you think of it as being a drop, but he said that sometimes there's a major increase right before. Um, so maybe there's a significant injury here for Wood. Um, I- I've been beating the drum pretty hard uh, for Tony Gonsolin. Uh, but I guess that just means that May, Strip, Urias, Bueller are safe. They're waiting on Kershaw with the back, but he completed a 15-pitch bullpen session, and I think he'll be back next time through. So uh, maybe they just bullpen it with Danny Santana one day if they don't want to do the transactions that require to bring Tony Gonsolin up. I did hear from one... Um, from one executive that I was talking to that uh, teams are having a lot of 40-man issues. And uh, the issue uh, is that with the expanded rosters, you're putting guys on your 40-man 
like the 30 man roster, right? You're putting, you're putting guys on your 40 man, maybe a little bit ahead of time because you have to, because you have to feel 30. Um, and it's only for two weeks or something, but then you see them for two weeks and you're like, well, I don't want to take them off my 40 man. I like what I saw. Um, so there are, uh, definitely some moves we'll see that seem weird that have to do with this 40 man crunch. I thought that was maybe going on with uh, Mike Fultonevich getting DFA'd by the Braves. I mean, you can't option guys down at certain points and then they have to come off the roster. It depends on what they have, right? And it just seemed weird to me that if something was wrong, they wouldn't have put them on the IL. And it's also weird to me that they didn't just give them a chance in the bullpen first. Like that was a pretty swift move. But I think I saw one report that he was down almost five miles per hour in Velo. Like that's a that's an incredible drop. Yeah, it was it was bad. And the, the thing about Fulte is that um, he definitely it's a little bit like the Nadia Valdi fastball where, um, you know, even when he was going well, like in the 2018 season, he had a 96.8 uh, average uh, fastball velocity. Uh, but, uh, you know, he got 8% whiffs on that. Um, that's not, you would expect many more whiffs. And it has to do with the fact that his fastball is almost exactly average in terms of movement. And I think that is your definition of, of straight. So even when he was throwing 96-8, uh, bas- batters uh, had a 436 slugging against him. This is 2018. Uh, so now you go to 2019, and now he's sitting 94-9, uh, still super straight, uh, and batters are slugging 522 off of him, off the four seam. Well, you know, what happens when you come into 2020 and he's now uh, throwing the four seam at 90.9. I think they just thought that even if he gets a tick in the bullpen, this is, this is just totally gone. And, you know, uh, I think that Alex Anthopoulos in some ways might be one of the perfect guys to have at the helm for your team in a 60 game situation like this, because do you remember when they took Sean Newcomb out of the rotation and he had like a three ERA? Yeah. They saw that that his command was just terrible. And they, they they just couldn't get through four innings with him, and so they took him out before the issue can't happen. So I think in this case, they looked at Fulton and they're like, "Look, he's ninety point nine. If we put him in the pen, he's ninety one nine. Still going to be or ninety two nine even. Still going to be a problem because at ninety five his fastball wasn't good. It was just passable, um, and now at ninety one it's just going to be a tattooed." And I think that you'll see, you know, everyone's like, oh, they should, my team should claim Fulty. I think you'll see that the bottom of the barrel claims Fulty. I think he'll be an Oriole or a Marlin um, and that everybody else will pass uh, because they can see the same things. But Anthopolis, uh, and this is how we have to work too. Uh, major velocity uh, deg- degradations like this, we have to move on them. And, um, and so I'm writing a piece now where I'm just going through like 30 pitchers and just writing about them. And uh, Manaya is owned in 93% of leagues um, and through 88. Like, nope, I'm not down for that. I know he debuted a new curveball, but uh, he does not have Kyle Hendricks' command. So, I, you know, that's what you need. If Fulty had Kyle Hendricks' command, he would still have a job, but he does not. So uh, I think we need to move fast on these velocity things. Yeah, I'm right there with you. There's no time to be optimistic. There's no time to see if things get back to normal in this shortened season. So perhaps a very proactive like even, move. Even with Otani, who we're excited about, 
and who threw three miles harder uh, than Fulte, you know, in his down, like, there's the bat thing that makes it more complicated with Otani. But like if he if he threw 93 again and had a bad game, like I would sell him as a pitcher. If he's a pitcher only, I might even drop him. Like Madison Bumgarner minus three miles an hour couldn't crack 90. Yeah, that's wow. major major. Charlie problem Morton, for, for I dropped from uh, top 10 to top 30 just based off of that first start minus two and a half miles an hour. It's brutal right now to see. Some of the drops and some of that velo might come back, but if it all doesn't come back, you still have a problem. And while you're waiting, you might take on a lot more damage in those ratios categories as well. If you were to guess on average how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically, a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments, and you can cancel any time. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash rates for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash rates for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Uh, a couple things to be excited about. You know, we are seeing prospects get the call. We're just passing that threshold. Six days is what it takes this year for a team to hold an extra year of service time with the season starting last Thursday. Tuesday, today, is day six. So tomorrow, Wednesday, is the day that we're going to see Nate Pearson debut for the Blue Jays. Uh, he's a guy we get to see pitch back in the fall league. He started the Fall Stars game. That was just, was it this fall? Was that only a few months ago? Was it really only that long ago? Or was that like 10 years ago? Uh, throws triple digits with a fastball, of course. Going to be a big part of this Jays rotation. They're kind of like the Padres of the AL, where I feel like they're angling more to get to the postseason, especially with 16 teams getting in. They're one of those teams that gets a bump anyway. Um, but I think Pearson's one of those guys that can come up and have some success right away. As long as the command is there, I think he has front-of-the-rotation stuff already, even though we haven't seen that much of him in the upper levels of the minor leagues. Yeah, I mean, there's. I think there's definitely some risk with Pearson, too. Um, the command doesn't always look like it's there. And the changeup... Uh, flashes in and out. I think the breaking balls are ahead of the changeup. Um, but the movement profile on the changeup gives him the most wiggle out of any of his pitches. Uh, and it's a five inch drop off his four seam. So, like, theoretically, it should be good. But, you know, theoretically, Carlos Rodon's changeup is good. And yet he doesn't have the command to use it. So, uh, there's, that, there's that bit of risk. There's also the risk that he gets super fastball. Uh, happy and you know teams the team that he first uh, matches up with like just ends up timing the fastball you know it does not have amazing movement it's all about velo for him so in a, in effect um you know this could be uh faulty like you know but young and still with the 96 97 so <laughs> uh there were some good seasons <laughs> in there for faulty um, I will reserve judgment on him till I uh, see more of him against major league hitters. Some of the stuff that he does against minor league hitters uh, it comes just from blowing them away.
80 grade fastball. You just you don't see a lot of 80 grade fastballs, especially yeah. on starters. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not sure I would give it a, a full 80 grade myself. Uh, looking at, we only have uh, two or three games of uh, movement data in, uh, in at Brooks Baseball, but uh, it's it's fairly straight. Unless he's got more ride on it since. And when I did talk to him in the spring, uh, he he spoke fluent TrackMan. Um, and so, uh, he was talking about upping the spin efficiency on his curve, which would get a more drop on that pitch and make it a better pitch. Um, and if he's working on spin efficiency on the curve and the four seam, that would theoretically mean more ride for his four seam. So as always, uh, with, uh, pitching debuts, my favorite thing to do in the world is look at their pitch FX data the next day. As much as it is to watch, like, I will admit this. I don't care what it says about me. <laughs> Well, and, and the gifts, the gifts are up there too. When you get to digest some of those, I mean, even even if it goes wrong, he's going to throw a few nasty pitches. I would think in that first uh, outing, he just yes, he will. He's that it kind of guy. To watch. He's very pitching ninja friendly already, right out of the box. Uh, the Reds called up Tyler Stevenson, and he actually homered in his big league debut. I thought he was kind of interesting in deeper leagues. I didn't think in a full one sixty two he was necessarily going to get more than a late-season call-up, unless there were a lot of injuries behind the plate. They leaned pretty heavily on Tucker Barnhart and Kurt Casale. Uh, and I think with Stevenson, you know, we saw him handle AA capably last year, a 130 WRC+. plus. He just hadn't played at AAA yet. Catchers especially take a little bit longer, especially as a guy who was drafted out of high school. Now that he's up, though, I'm intrigued, at least in two catcher leagues. I mean, again, he handles the bat well enough. I just... Worried that the playing time is still going to be a little bit sporadic, and probably even playing less than someone like Victor Caratini, who gets a decent amount of DH run for the Cubs. So uh, if you're looking for that second catcher who maybe doesn't hurt you with the bat, I think Stevenson in deeper leagues could actually provide that. Dude, he has a 50% barrel rate. <laughs> um no i i uh i, I like that how patient he was uh pretty amazing um to to get in there and walk with the game on the line too i mean yeah. i guess maybe not that hard to walk against craig Grimble right now but uh <laughs> oh. still big big position big time big time uh cojones to to wait that one out and and not be all aggressive and try to win the game yourself um so i like what i saw uh, i like the fact that they they played him that it wasn't just some sort of uh you know pull this guy up and and let him get a taste or whatever so uh i think he's a pickup i think he's a pickup in most leagues i think that he can outplay the starter um and uh it's exciting that he's in the big leagues and if you need some help at catching um i think he's he's someone to to pick up yeah, I like him as a hitter at the present time quite a bit more than uh, William Contreras. We mentioned in passing a little earlier with the two primary Braves catchers unavailable right now. You know, Contreras and Alex Jackson are both up. Alex Jackson hit a ton of home runs at AAA last year. He struck out a lot and didn't walk that much, so the approach probably doesn't work against big league pitching. Uh, but William Contreras is one of those guys and keeper in dynasty leagues. Might actually be out there if you can pick him up now that he's up and stash him away for the future. I think that's probably the optimal way to go about it right now. I think in shorter-term situations, he's probably limited mostly to NL-only type usage. The bat's not nearly as far along yet 
as Tyler Stevenson's by comparison. Uh, we saw a 106 WRC plus last year at high A, a 90 WRC plus with the promotion to double A, almost split the season evenly between those two levels. So the power is still developing. You know, the patience still a little bit of a work in progress for him, but eventually a guy who I think is going to be the starter in Atlanta. So there is a little bit of long term appeal there. Yeah, I just don't know um, how to adjust. Like, even with Stevenson, like, you know, Tucker Barnhart went on the paternity list. So it could still just be like a three day thing, you know? And with Wilson Contreras, like, um, you know, Darno was put on the on the covid i guess so that that i guess they uh oh, they okay the the catchers did get it or or do we don't know that they actually have it they're just in the protocol they're in the protocol yeah Aye. that that's all we do know that see the thing is i had that tracker going and everything started to happen and i i couldn't keep up with it and frankly i may have to take a day and go through and update it and see what the true numbers really are right now yeah, because they keep pointing out this like point one percent, but and and we haven't. We used to get these. We've gotten a, a bunch of reports on how many people have tested positive, and we haven't gotten one since the whole Marlins thing went down. Uh, as far as I say, you know, they were already admitting to about eighty people since the testing program began. Um, I'd have to say that we're. I think we're we're getting past a hundred players. Hundred players. Um, depending on how you count it, if you just counted the active rosters, uh, you're talking about, uh, you know, uh, what is it? 30 times 30, 900, you know, so we're talking about over 10%. Anyway. I don't think that's an unreasonable estimate at this point. Um, Contreras is 22. We got the, we got the age. We looked him up. There he is. 22. Uh, I would normally say don't worry about it it'll just be a few days but if Ardano and flowers are out for that long then Contreras is going to play and two weeks from now who knows what's going on so you might as well make a fairly deep play at them deep leagues only i think for Contreras, keeper formats definitely stevenson the better of the two if you're looking for that help right now Interest rates have hit record lows which means it's a great time to refinance your student loans and see if you can lower your monthly payment if you've been making the same monthly payment on your student loans for the last couple of years, odds are you could reduce your payment and save by refinancing with earnest. Even if you've refinanced before with today's low rate environment, most people could save by refinancing again. Checking your new rate is fast and easy. To start, complete a few questions online. It only takes two minutes. Then you'll get a personalized rate estimate without affecting your credit score. Want to change your monthly payment? Combine many loans into one easy payment or get a better rate? Earnest makes it easy. Plus, there's no origination fee or any other fees. Plus, the internet loves earnest customer service. They're rated 9.4 out of 10 on Trustpilot. And now you can get $100 cash bonus when you refinance a student loan with Ernest at earnest.com slash rates and barrels. Once again, get a $100 cash bonus when you refinance your student loan at earnest.com slash rates and barrels. Not available in all states. Be sure to visit earnest.com slash rates and barrels for more details. Terms and conditions apply. Earnest student loan refinance loans are made by Earnest Operations LLC NMLS number 1204917. California financing law license number 605478830303. Second Street Suite 401 North San Francisco, California 94107. Visit earnest.com slash licenses if you want to see a full list of licensed states. All right, 
Uh, last thing we want to talk about on this episode, you know, you mentioned uh, going into the weekend, you were looking for unusual things with the StatCast data and knowing with some of the changes uh, involving Hawkeye and some of the way those things are built, those were going to be inevitable. Did we see any weird things that definitely were the result of, of glitches? Any uh, seven-foot home runs or thousand-foot home runs or 130-mile-an-hour fastballs that we should know about? No, uh, you know, and I've been checking around um, with the different analysts uh, that um, I quoted for my first piece, and uh, most of them are happy. The one thing uh, that they are worried about is uh, real-time uh, cleanups. Uh, sometimes the real-time, like when when uh, Scherzer was debuting, uh, it kept calling his fastball cutter. Um, and so, uh, he was throwing 97 mile an hour cutters, uh, that kind of stood out a little bit, but real time has always been an issue. Real time is always difficult. Real time. Um, you have to, uh, you just have to, it's better if you have a long knowledge of the player and the system. And obviously we don't have, uh, a long knowledge of the system. So, uh, I don't blame them too much for that. Real time is always the most difficult thing. Uh, in terms of big mistakes, I didn't see any. And in terms of what the analysts are saying, they say uh, spin uh, is is iffy, but uh, movement and velocity and exit velocity all look pretty good. So uh, that's the good news. I think we can believe uh, most of the stats we're seeing. Uh, there's just this question of will did they cheap out on the center field camera and will we get um, observed spin axis the way we'd like? All right. So maybe a little bit better than expected, right? I mean, there were some concerns that things might be ugly to begin the season with the data. Oh, yeah, I thought, it, I thought it'd be worse. In fact, uh, you know, given the, the situation, this is uh, about as best we could, as we could hope for, because there's always uh, an issue when you, when you try to hand off from one system to another. And, you know, all the other systems had, you know, more trouble. I mean, we were losing ground balls and fly balls with TrackMan, and we barely knew uh, what a two-seamer was when PitchFX first came in. So, Yeah, the in-game tracking has always been kind of frustrating, though, thinking about some of the things I saw this week and that didn't seem quite right. There were some players that the announcers were saying had new pitches, and you're kind of looking at it you're like, oh, that looks like what we used to see. It just has a different classification on it, so... Let's not make it seem as though everybody's throwing a new pitch if we can help it. Oh, and here it looks like maybe there, you know, we start at the beginning of the show talking about how the Nationals uh, were voting against going to Miami. Uh, and it looks like now uh, Craig Mish, who has reliable sources within the Marlins and has uh, shown that to be the case in the past, uh, is reporting that the Marlins season is on hold um, and it even looks like the Phillies uh, will be sort of quarantined. They're not going to play the Yankees, it looks like. Um, and uh, I actually uh, find this a little bit hopeful. You know, I think that this is the way to go. I think the Marlins should be paused, uh, you know, for at least four or five days. And in fact, the Phillies were right there. So, uh, I think they should be paused for the gestation period, the four or five days, to make sure that they aren't, uh, you know, holding on to five, ten people uh, that can then go spread it. So um, I think this is the right thing to do. Uh, if, you know, in terms of fantasy, 
really difficult. I have like a Pablo Lopez share in one league. It's a keeper league, but I'm running out of space on my roster. And I'm just like, when is he going to pitch again? Uh, is he one of the people that has, you know, on top of this, like, we don't even know. They haven't even announced who on the Marlins has it. Right. But still, uh, players kind of trickling in. Yes, Miguel Rojas was announced while we were recording, for sure. Right. And, uh, you know, with Craig, he does a, a show about the Marlins, a podcast called Swings and Mishes, if you're interested in, in checking that out. Does a really good job getting a lot of good news uh, from that team. And um, this, of course, is not actually good news. It's very bad news. But I, I think, as you said, this actually seems somewhat hopeful because I think for the first time, the advice of medical professionals might be applied here. Like this is what people who specialize in epidemiology would suggest, right? Like isolating the team, shutting them down. I think that's what uh, Dr. Zachary Binney, who was on the Starkville podcast, and uh, he was quoted in, in yeah. Jason Stark's article. Like this is in line with what he suggested. I think you are also right to point out that this could happen with the Phillies too. Uh, one thing I just saw scroll by on Twitter is that they may have the Yankees and Orioles go to Baltimore and play since they were going to play you know, the Phillies and Marlins respectively. That way you get some games in, maybe make up games later, at least give yourself the possibility of pulling that off. Um, so everything's kind of being determined on the fly, given the unique nature of the situation. As Britt said, building the plane as we fly it. But I don't want to I just wa I want to express a little bit of sympathy for the other side because we knew that something like this was going to happen and some of the stuff can't be written in ink before the season because you don't exactly know the shape of it. You don't know exactly what you have to do to react to it. So, um, yeah, is it weird that the Yankees will play the Orioles? Maybe, but like they're the two teams that hadn't yet been visited uh, by the teams that are in quarantine. So play each other. You know, mm -hmm. like get some games in because it may be uh, difficult to get all the games in this year. And I really hope you guys are mostly in daily transaction leagues. Woo boy. I really regret for leagues that I'm in that I'm not the commissioner of and even the ones I commission not pushing to make that change. It seems very obvious only five days into the season that having more flexibility is necessary. I mean, Obviously, what to do with Marlins and fantasy baseball is, in the grand scheme of things, not really important at all, but it's part of what we do. I think if I'm the commissioner of a league, I'm probably allowing people to make changes. Like I'll use the commission tools or something for this lineup period to swap players out. I mean, this is unprecedented, right? We've never seen anything like this before. Yeah, but what about Soto, where like you kind of knew going in that it's going to be an issue this week, but if you played him and now you're like, well, hey, I want him off, you know? I don't know. It, it, the daily lineup thing just puts a lot of that out. I think I wish that I had uh, contacted Justin Mason and yelled uh, loudly for TGFBI to, to go to daily because um, it's I only have about two leagues now that are that are weekly. I mean, look, I don't think it's too late to even just make that change for the rest of the season. You could implement that either next Monday or Friday or tomorrow or whatever and Maybe some people are yeah, on some sites. You can anyway, but yeah. even if people are saying, well, you're moving the goalposts, like we're adjusting the plan. We're doing the same thing that baseball is doing. Just trying to figure out how to make this work for everybody. I don't, what if the next, uh, yeah. What if the next breakout, I would say that person, what if the next breakout, it has all your stars on in it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 
again, we expect more things like this, hopefully uh, more contained, of course, and, and less severe than what we're seeing with the Marlins. But that is the update that we got uh, just before signing off for this episode. Uh, if you're enjoying this show on a platform that allows you to rate and review this podcast, take a moment to give us a rating and review. We really appreciate that. It helps uh, new listeners find our show. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get 40% off at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. That'll get you Eno's articles, all the baseball coverage on the site, both league-wide and team-by-team, team, all the fantasy coverage as well. Gets you coverage to all the other sports that we uh, cover here at The Athletic, too. And as always, you can reach us via email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. If you want to reach us that way, you can find Eno on Twitter at Enoceris. I am at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you Thursday. Thanks for listening.